Hello, welcome to another episode of the Marine Corps Association podcast, Scuttlebutt. I'm Nick. I'm here with Vic. Hello. I'm here with Will. Howdy. And I'm here with special guest, General Shiroti. Good morning. He is the CEO of the Marine Corps Association Foundation, and uh, with the whole Marine Corps Association and Foundation, and is our boss. <laughs> and I've immediately flubbed it up a little bit, so we're having a good time already. Uh, happy birthday, Marines. Happy birthday. Hurrah. 246 strong. 246. Looking good for 246. Let's not repeat the jokes we've already used. Yeah, recycle them. Um, They worked the first time, sort of. (laughs) We don't know if they worked. Um, So, you guys got any birthday thoughts? Let's have 246 more. Birthdays. Nice. Nice. Let's keep keep going strong. Just uh, special wishes to all the... uh, the Marines and sailors and uh, the families who are forward deployed around the globe, ensuring that uh, we remain safe and and uh, carry on our legacy out there. So Absolutely. Awesome. For all those of us no longer in uniform, find a place, find other Marines, get an Entenmann's cake or something, and uh, and just remember our uh, all the pride that we had in uniform, and let's just take that passion and, and move it into our lives outside of uniform. Is an Entenmann's cake worth 246 years or is that? It's about $2.46 <laughs> so <laughs> symbolic. And Probably a fruit cake will last that long but that's good. So, all right, Your grandmother's fruit cake, that's the one that yeah. the one that, that breaks that things. Breaks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The brick. Of course yeah. a Marine Corps cake would break things. Of course, <laughs> of course. Um, well, they're getting a little lighter weight though, right? The because we're getting rid of the the tank, so we can't have the heavy. Well, if you're going organic, cake, yeah. If you're gonna get organic, then that's you know. We have to have an inside force cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Now, without further ado, I don't want to w- waste too much of our boss's time. He's got busy, busy stuff to take care of. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it to Vic to uh, take the reins on talking to General Sharuti. Absolutely. Well, sir. Again, thank you so much for. Um, your generosity with your time and uh, sitting down with us today. Um, just to briefly introduce, I, I'm not going to do your career uh, any justice here, uh, but just to sort of hit some of the wave tops. So, um, Lieutenant General Sharoti, you were uh, commissioned in '85, uh, um, attended Naval Command and Staff College, Newport, Rhode Island, um, graduated in 2000. Then Major Sharodi was uh, assigned to Marine Forces Europe and Southern Region Logistics Plan Officer. Um, following September 11th, you served as Watch Officer, Crisis Action Team, European Theater. Uh, you provided um, logistics support for OEF and OIF within the European Theater. You were part of the 22nd MU. Then Lieutenant Colonel Sharodi deployed with MSS G-22 in support of OIF. Um, you then were selected and successfully completed fellowship at the Smeal School of, School of Business at uh, Penn State. You were command of CLR-3, 3rd Marine Logistics Group, 3 MEF, uh, U.S. Central Command Chief of Staff, Logistics Directorate. Two MEF is Commanding General, Second Marine Logistics Group from 14 to 16. Deputy Commander, United States Forces Japan. Um, you then transferred to the Pentagon and assumed duties as Deputy Commandant, Installations and Logistics. 
You hold a bachelor's degree in psychology, master's degree from Naval War College Newport, and a slew of personal decorations. So, sir, with all that being said, for those who may not know you or are only familiar with you as Lieutenant General Shiroti, um, do you mind yeah. just taking as short a time or as long a time as you like to just sort of give us some of your background? Yeah, absolutely. As you were as you were reading the bio, I was just kind of like, wow, that's that's a long time there. That a lot of different jobs and kind of highlighted all the careers. But thank you for doing that. So, uh, you know, I was born and raised in Italy. Um, uh, at age 17 and a half, I received a draft notice from the Italian, from the Italian uh, army saying, hey, you need, to, you need to come. And at that time, it was a mandatory draft, 18 years old. You had to serve for 36 months in the Italian military. My mom and dad were both born in Italy. Uh, both of them uh, were, you know, young kids growing up during the war. Uh, my dad became a... Um, a U.S. citizen when he was about 23 years old, a little couple of years before I did, and uh, came to the States, raised his right hand, um, and served in the American Air Force under the citizenship uh, service, I think it was called Citizenship to Service or Service to Citizenship program. And uh, lo and behold, and luckily for them, they uh, he received his first set of orders back to Italy. So he spent the majority of his career in and around Italy because that's where his family was from. All of them are still there. My parents are still there and everything else. So when I come along, you know, it's uh, I'm an Italian citizen and I have to I have to make a choice between staying in Italy, serving, or coming to the States. And, you know, at that time, as a 17-and-a-half-year-old, the last thing on my mind was to serve in the Italian <laughs> military and, and guard some, you know, ancient city or, or some border at the time. Um, and so I decided that, uh, you know, that wasn't for me and, uh, I'd come to the States. It's funny when you come, when you become an American citizen, that was my choice. I had to actually renounce Italian citizenship. Otherwise I couldn't go back and visit my parents without risk of being in prison for being a draft evader, right? Jeez, go figure. Yeah. So, so, uh, it's funny though, when you become an American citizen, whether it's, you know, naturalized or whatever the case is, you, uh, you know, at least for me, I had this deep sense of uh, patriotic, uh, you know, responsibility that was thrust upon me. And and, uh, and I chose at that time, I was going to do something. I, I didn't know that it was Marine Corps. I had little understanding of what, in fact, I don't even think I, unless I knew in the movies what the Marine Corps was or what they did or any, fully had comprehended. But so I was, I was kind of caught in this, uh, this period of trying to figure out exactly what it was I was going to do to repay my, my debt to, to the nation for being coming an American citizen. And I was fortunate. I mean, this is just, you know, how things happen. I was, <laughs> I was at a party actually, and I ran into, uh, and I always tell the story. I was sitting around the keg and, uh, not, not because I drink, you know, <laughs> but just because I was guarding it just yes, to sir. make sure this kind of future, you know, <laughs> this is foreshadowing. But, um, I happened to run into a couple of Marines who were just talking. They were young enlisted Marines that uh, had were going to the same school that I was going to, and uh, you know they they just seemed like they had a a drive and a and a bearing, and they you know they carried themselves uniquely different, only as Marines do. And uh, you know I, I thought at that time, wow, wouldn't this be neat? And they were going through the commissioning program, as I said, and and so uh, I tried. Uh, I talked to them uh, and. Probably the next week I went in and, you know, said, hey, this is what I want to do. And, and my vision, again, my planning is is pretty poor. But I said, you know, I'm going to do this for 
a short time and then I'll get out. You know, that, that was 37, 38 years later that, you know, I'm still here doing this. And, you know, and so uh, at the time when I joined, my, my dad was pretty, um, he was pretty upset that I would join the, the Marine Corps. You know, again, their vision, much like mine, was shaped by by events of Vietnam, especially during the latter part of Vietnam and, and by movies and all of that. And so they, they just didn't understand why they would send their son to the States to do that, mm-hmm, you know. And, mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, the minute uh, they came over and they saw, you know, when I graduated from OCS, you know, like every other parent, like every parent, they're extremely proud, extremely. And, you know, to this day, I always joke that there's a, you know, there's a, a monument in the town of Italy where I was born and raised. And, you know, it's a monument to General Sharoti because, you know, <laughs> oh, my son's a Marine General. You know, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. But um, so, yeah, they're there. That's me. I have the other part of my my life has been my, my wife and bride. Uh, yeah, we've been together since college and uh, a long time. And, and we have three wonderful kids. Um, I have kids. They're they're adults. Uh, I have a 29-year-old daughter. She's uh, she's out in Utah. And her her and her husband are you know dual-income guys. They're doing they're doing much better than I ever did. And uh, they're about ready to deliver the first grandchild. And then nice. uh, I have a son in the Air Force. He's in uh, he's in Osan, and uh, he's uh, he he'll get orders next summer to. Um, to uh, Italy, uh, so you know he'll get to ex- he'll get coming to actually circle. live coming full circle. Yeah. Right? Hopefully they don't arrest him because he's aligned <laughs> to me. But uh, and then uh, my youngest daughter is a second lieutenant of Marines, and she's uh, in fact she graduates on Thursday. Wow! And uh, she's going to pick up the log reins and head down to CLB six here in, in the next month or so. So pretty excited. Yep. Fantastic. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, that is uh, that's really fascinating. Obviously, it's something that uh, I'm, I'm really appreciate you opening yeah. up some of your uh, your backgrounds. Because one of the things we've talked about here uh, on this podcast is how stories matter. Um, And one of the reoccurring stories thus far has been the immigrant story. I come from a refugee family. I was the first American born in my family. Um, And, yeah, there is this – there's a – I don't want to say it's different, but there is a a palatable sense of needing – of feeling this call to give back. Um, So I'm really glad that you touched on that, sir. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it it runs deep uh, for me even to this day. Uh, uh, I told my, it's interesting because, you know, for me, it was just a, uh, again, the day I I raised my right hand and became a U.S. citizen. I mean, I remember it clearly. And, uh, and just this kind of, I had kind of a sense of struggle inside because one, on one hand I was, I had walked away from a draft notice, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, you know, this is it. Now, on the other hand, I felt this burning desire to serve. And again, it wasn't the Marine Corps. That wasn't the calling. It was to serve back, mm-hmm. you know, to give something back on, uh, you know, and I, I didn't care whether it was a Peace Corps or, you know, it was the, you know, the groundskeeper for the municipality, local municipality. I felt like I had to give something back and uh, before I went on to the next stage of my life. And, and so you had this, I think um, – this deep-rooted sense that, uh, you know, the the oath and the allegiance that you swear uh, and the citizenship comes at a, at a price. And mm-hmm. I, I believe that to this day. I think, you know, perhaps if we had more of that today, we'd have some clear guidelines within the country. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. uh, it's really – and I, I love that you talked about that dichotomy about um, – you know, the sense of giving back, but then there's a stigma. Um, You know, my family's from Vietnam, so that was a very real thing. My mom came here in 75. I was born in 76. And, again, coming full circle, you know, her first – her 
first she, she stepped on the yellow footprints at Camp Pendleton <laughs> when she came Literally. to this country. <laughs> and I, my first, uh, you know, I ended up getting stationed at Camp yeah. Pendleton and, uh, you know, growing up in San Clemente, yeah. um, many, many different factors about the Marine Corps, yeah. both good and bad, uh, helped shape sort of my path towards being a Marine. And so, um, well, it's, you know, it's, sorry, I mean, sorry. it's interesting because when you think about, you know, our refugees that we have today on Quantico, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the refugees that we have from Afghanistan and all that, you know, years from now, their kids will be sitting in uh, uh, perhaps the Marine Corps Association podcast room and be talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, absolutely. and, uh, and it'll be interesting to hear their perspective on it because, you know, the way, you know how events unfolded in Afghanistan. There, there. You know whether there is a deep-rooted sense of Afghan nationalism, pride, uh, and then juxtapose that against you know the U.S. You know we came to America. America opens its doors and opens its arms and, and welcomes us warmly. You know, so it'd be interesting to see how that it you will. Know, five, ten, fifteen years from now, that how all that unfolds. You know, well, I had a couple of linguists, one in Iraq, and he was um, Lebanese Druze, hmm. um, and he had a fantastic life after he fled from all of the civil war in Beirut, and he uh, settled in Detroit. Long, you know, short story long, he. he ended up as a uh, uh, executive for GM <laughs> and was living a very comfortable life. His kids sort of became very American um, and he wanted to show them service and giving back sort of while. So he enlisted, if you will, as an interpreter and he was one of our, he was actually uh, one of the SF interpreters. He had uh, human training and all this these sorts of things. He was fantastic, but his same yeah. echoed many of the same sentiments. And then I had another um, linguist in Afghanistan, an Afghan who fled during uh, his family fled during the Soviet invasion. So he grew up as an American, but same sort of thing. Like I need to give back. I'm an American. We're in Americans are in Afghanistan. Let me go see yeah. what I can do. So I think there is something very palatable about yeah, that. Yeah, the price of citizenship shouldn't be free. That's my opinion. You you should have to make some level of investment in that, you know. And um, and again, the, the, what I told my kids when they they were coming up, <laughs> it's interesting. And perhaps everybody here at this table who are you know dependents at some form or sort or another. Uh, I told my kids, I said, you know, you served 18 years of your life in the Marine Corps. And <laughs> yeah. I did. And I, it was no, you know, I told them this. I said, there's, I have no interest in seeing you having to serve in the Marine Corps or anything else like that. But they chose. Mm-hmm. Two of the three chose. And the other one still to this day is, is, is you know, so committed to our Corps. That, but, they, you know, they chose it because I think, number one, they, they understand the, the value of of serving the military, U.S. military, the need to do that in today's society. I mean, when less than one percent of our our, yeah. our citizens choose that as a path, and it doesn't mean that everybody has to join. It's not for everybody, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but at some point you have to determine that it you, there has to be a price for citizenship, and that, that bar needs to be set. You know, um, otherwise, you know, there's there's you know, my concern will be at some day that you know. It'll be it'll come too cheaply and therefore be traded away for too cheaply, and we don't want that, that to Absolutely. happen. Absolutely, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yeah, the calling comes in all all shapes yeah. and sizes, but um, yet yeah, there is something about that drive. Um, and then, 
And this sort of leads into what we were talking about is like the need to not just serve, but to maybe put yourself in a place that is exceptional. Yeah. So what was it about the Marine Corps? I know we, we talked about the Marines that you met, sir, as a young guy, but what was sort of your impression early on being in Italy away from the, the sort of the close of the mysticism of the Marine Corps. Did you have much? Uh, as no, far as... I mean, as far as the, you know, as far as understanding, like I said, as far as understanding what the, the Marine Corps was, I had nothing other than my reference truly was, you know, um, Hollywood and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, everything that they sensationalize. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's why my dad had such an allergic reaction to it to begin yeah. with, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, the movies of my era were, you know, born on the uh, the 4th of July, you know, yeah, or, uh, you know yeah. Deer sure. Hunter, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, right? so, yeah. so, you know, they're very <laughs> sensational yeah. movies, you know. And, and the Marine Corps, and, and for that fact, all the services are, you know, that that, that is Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. today. And so, so you know, again, at that time, it was uh, it was a different atmosphere and a different time. But um, you know, the service. You know, what what really drew, drew drew me to the Marine Corps? Number one was those young three Marines, two of which retired as colonels, and another one served great. You know, and he got out earlier. But but it was it was the character of the individuals. I mean, mm-hmm. truly, mm-hmm. it was a sense of belonging to a team, mm-hmm. a sense of belonging to something greater than. You know, and I had played sports all through growing up in high school, and it was the closest, uh, you know, the closest I can look back in my civilian time and go, yeah, this was, you know, Mm -hmm. I enjoyed being part of something larger and something, you know, the we instead of I. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Marine Corps gets the eye out of you like when you step on the yellow footprints, right, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or when you go up to Mm -hmm. OCS. And so... So uh, that was the, you know, that was kind of the hook initially. And then from there it was, you know, it was just the Marine Corps has a way of, of just keeping you in at every gate. Uh, I'll call it a gate. But, you know, at every point of the transition of the career, you know, there's there's another challenge. There's another opportunity. There's another set of folks that just you think, man, I just left this unit. And it was fantastic. And you go to your next unit and it's like, wow, this is even better than the one I came from. And so, you know, that's what the people are what keep you in. Yes, uh, the Marine Corps is great, uh, all the institutions and its reputation, but it's about the individual Marine and it's about uh, the people that you serve with military and civilian because it's one big family yes sir well using that i guess you to continue with the sports analogy then so like you know if if joining the marine corps or serving your country in uniform is a race some races are sprints yeah others such as yourself sir are there marathons yeah what was it that kept you and you alerted to the the next unit and excitement of being yeah. with the new what was the next sort of water station that kept you going <laughs> it was uh, the uh, energy bar waiting for the next bag of energy uh, jelly beans uh yeah that's great i mean that's a good way perhaps uh, i don't think that it, first of all i don't think that anybody starts out their career anyone at any point starts out their career and go ah, i'm going to be in i'm going to be at a marathon you know and i'm going to this is going to be i'm going to be around for 37 years i don't know I don't think I can think of one Marine that I've been aligned with um, throughout my career that started out and said, I'm going to be the sergeant major. There's some d- designs. I want to be a sergeant major, you know, but or I want to be a general. But it's not, you know, you just, you again, the humility of being a, a Marine leader, the, 
you know, you're, you're, you're surprised when you get promoted. You're surprised when you get command of Marines. You're surprised, you know, you should be, you know, mm -hmm, it should mm -hmm. be because it's, you're, you're humble in that way, I think. And that's what the Marine Corps does for us. And so I think, you know, I started out my career really, you know, my, my greatest, my sense that I wanted to achieve, I shouldn't say that, my goal that I wanted to achieve was, you know, I always thought that being a captain of Marines was the best rank to achieve. Uh, it just was. I mean, it was so just a fun. phenomenal yeah. rank, right? It's it's the place where, you know, you're, you know, and I, again, because I think it was what I had, you know, I had the vision of at the time as a second lieutenant, you know, I looked at, you know, company commander, battery commander, whatever the case may be, and I... I thought, man, here you are. You're in it. You're in it with the Marines. This is the closest you're going to get. And beyond that, you've just become a staff weenie, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and then you're behind the computer or, you know, whatever the case may be. Even as a battalion commander, you're never that close. And so, yeah, I, I was looking to be a captain. I thought that was great. And I had the opportunity to command two companies and um, several platoons coming up to that point. And, uh, and, you know, and I just, I look fondly back at that, you know, yes, it was sir. really where you could, you know, you could get to, to really hit, you know, where the rubber meets the road. That's yes, it right there. That's where you shape young, young men and women, uh, Marines to be, you know, the best that they can be setting that environment for them. And so that, that propelled me to the next level. And then, you know, opportunities came, family, the whole nine yards and, and you just go. And then we were, if you got, if you look back over this period that I, w that I served in, you know, I mean, it was, you know, you had kind of uh, the end of the Cold War, kind of had an interlude period. And then all of a sudden you've got, you know, Desert Storm. Then you got, you got, uh, you got 9-11. And, and once you're on that 9-11 train, you just can't, you, you're not going to get off the train mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you, you just, again, it's a sense of belonging. You know, I know very few individuals, unless they were required to, to, to retire, that they actually got off because, again, they were, they were on that fast train to, and they wanted to be on it. And um, well, how many people were going back to the prior service recruiters? Like, oh, yeah. get me in. Right. Like, right. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. I remember, I remember a Desert Storm. You know, when we I was on the drill field at the time and, and got called up to be in one of the casualty replacement companies, and and uh, we got we were sent up to Pendleton, and <clears throat> we were all standing in line drawing SIF gear and everything else like that, and and uh, I looked over and there was this line of just a line of like individuals who long hair, you know, <laughs> cast, you know, it was, it was pretty funny actually. And, uh, and, uh, I was like, what are they doing? And, and these were all the, these were all the Marines had gotten out and were, you know, prior service mm -hmm, and they, mm -hmm. they, they wanted to go at it again, you know, and, and God bless them. I mean, they were just, you know, f fantastic. And they were, they were doing it again because they saw it as their opportunity to, to really serve the Marine Corps and serve the nation. Uh, you know, and again, they weren't forced back. They were asked to come back. Yes, and, and, and OIS was, was very much the same way. You think back at your feelings, uh, how you felt on the, on not the day of 9-11. And, yes, you know, and, and it's like, wow, boom, you know. So, yeah. Yes, sir. Um, and so we talked about the Marine Corps being a people's business, that the, you know, the mystique and, the, the, and the, the, the legend of the Marine Corps is one thing. But then you get in. You get in the huddle yeah. with other Marines. Yeah. What was it about? Who were some of your mentors? Like, who were some of those guys that helped? You know, let me you know, help pick up your pack when it started yeah. feeling a little heavy. John Lejeune. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, I mean, I think you know, it's funny because you know, it's kind of you go through and you, you know, you, you you say, well, you know, I had I had you know, 
I, I think at different levels, I grew different mentors because I was exposed to a different level of leadership. And so, you know, I look back at my first, you know, unit um, and, uh, you know, I look I look at the individuals within that, you know, and I very again, you're very I want to say cloistered, but you're very you're very, you know, um, confined in your view of, of the Marine Corps. And so I looked within that first unit, you know, and, and, and you know. You know, our executive officer was just a, you know, we used to call him Conan for his size and his, and his, uh, and his uh, attitude. But he was, he was, he was kind of the, the level set of the battalion. And so, you know, you start out like that, you mm-hmm. catch somebody, perhaps didn't have everything that I was looking for. Um, I, I, I fell back a lot, believe it or not, on my high school coach. Mm. Um and uh, I think so many Marines do that, you know, but, uh, you know, he, he taught me that, you know, the, the, the journey was always worth, you know, the, the, the day. Yes, sir. And uh, you just kind of look at it uh, one piece at a time, and eventually you're going to get to that to that end goal. So throughout my career, I, I'll tell you, I had different mentors. Still to this day, I have different mentors. And uh, I was talking to my daughter about this the other day, actually, and you know how she, you know how she builds that. And I said, you know, you don't have to settle on the one mentor. I think what you do, at least what I do, and perhaps I'm sure everybody else does. But my 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 kind of approach on this was that not any one individual uh, has all the things that I look for, or you know, or or know of. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I kind of smorgasbord it. Uh, kind of, you know, there's pieces and parts that I look, even even when they're not mentors, look and you go, wow, that, that quality that that individual exhibited or that, you know, the way that person carries himself, pulling it all together so that it fits you and your mm-hmm. needs, mm-hmm. not just going, well, you know, you know. And so I'd have individuals that, uh, you know, people that I thought highly of and when I was a CG or a battalion commander that I would reach out regularly to give me um, sound advice on a on a matter uh, that I knew I could I could trust them and and then I'd use the same kind of approach to, to somebody else and kind of balance it out and then I'd draw my own opinions my own recommendations and then move forward so I don't think you get set on any one at least for me yeah mentor. that's great yeah. I, I I hadn't really thought of it that way but I think there is a sense of um, humility. To understand that you're not going to find the 100% solution yeah. in a single person. It's not fair to that person, right. um, and then it's also not fair to yourself. And you know, obviously, um, you know, knowing yourself uh, is a huge aspect of leadership. And so to understand that, like, that works for them, but it's not going to work for me. True. And I think that level of humility is cr- is critical to leadership. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I I hadn't adopted that. Probably should. <laughs> wish I had. No. But I think that, that that that's a and especially as um, things are getting away from community. Yeah. Just as a society, um, we've talked on other podcasts about um, this sort of the current generation's mistrust of the institution, but to step away from that monolithic view of things and to under and to get into that personal relationship i think is critical and and where a lot of young marines who maybe are struggling or trying to find their identity within the institution can do that by picking those marines who are exhibiting those attributes and then finding their way by using multiple people as an example instead of just yeah and the other thing i would say is that you know you you know we're, we're so used to looking up 
for that mm. mentor. But look across and look down sometimes. Mm. You know, and yeah. what I mean by down, I don't mean that disparaging. I mean that in the sense of you know younger. Yes. You know, uh, there's so many that you know, so many great quantities. I'll tell you, I, I've. I was fortunate in my time as a general officer to have some fantastic aides. I mean, just great aides. Um, and uh, and each one of them had a uniquely, di- obviously, a uniquely different personality and character, had character traits. And I was able to, even from them, learn so much more how I interacted with a different population of Marines, right? Mm-hmm. They were different mm-hmm. from me, right? Mm-hmm. Perhaps your age, right? So... So I was able to look at them and how they did it, and you know, and and, uh, and normally they tell me, "Sir, you're out of bounds. <laughs> Sir, you're doing this. Or, Sir, you need." To. And so that that I think we have to always keep in mind that mentorship comes in many different forms and different ages and different, you know, and not just to always look up and say, "Well, that, you know, that that individual that's up there, it's got to have have all the answers." No, it's it comes in different forms, sizes, shapes, ages, and everything else yes, like sir. that. You know, so. Well, a shameless plug for uh, Force Design 2030. I mean, yeah. this is what both the Commandant and the ACMAC were talking about, diversity of thought. That yeah. Organizations that think differently yeah. do better. Yeah, I think, I think you know, that's a great point, Vic. Um, you know, I think our job is older leaders. I count myself older now, you know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> but the senior leaders, um, our job is, is to enable an environment of success. You know, and innovation and thought, free thought and those kinds of things. There's always the time and the place where you lock that down and you, hey, we just don't have time for that right now. We, we, you know, the situation doesn't enable it. But even in those times, I found that, you know, you just, you give, you know, you give the reins uh, of innovation and, and, and free thought to, to your young Marines and they will take you to places that you're just, wow. You, yes, you sir. Just, and that's what I think the commandant's done is, you know, he's he enables the, the Marine Corps to be this while still maintaining who we are, while still maintaining, our, ensuring that we're trusted with the legacy and carrying it on and and all of that. He's, you know, he's seen the future. He sees it clearly uh, in, in where the threat is and and he understands how we need to evolve. He doesn't have all the answers, he, you know. But what he does is he says, hey, this is, my, this is where we need to go very quickly. And we need to do it in a way. And then he lets, he lets the, you know, the, the Marine Corps and others uh, really help guide, you know, help come up with the ideas. What are the capabilities? How do we evolve the Marine to, to come to that level of thought and decision making and maturity that's needed for that future, you know, force that, that that's called for in Force Design 2030. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't come from one individual. It comes from the whole Marine Corps and all the thought that goes behind it. Absolutely, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, then, as we're talking then about um, developing or, or mentoring or encouraging that sort of innovation and that outside-the-box thinking, yeah. to use a cliche saying, um, what are some of the things that you did as a – as a seasoned officer, as a seasoned leader, to engage your Marines, uh, your peers included, yeah. in pursuing professional development and, and, and really honing that intellect. Yeah. So first of all, you 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 know, every opportunity that was was brought up. No one individual is is so um, 
is so indispensable that you can't afford to allow them to do something that that's good for their career, right? And so, yes, and I've seen that so many times where you know a, a young Marine or or even you know you're the most important person in in the battalion. Let's just call it that. You know, they they are, you know, if this guy leaves or this Marine leaves, woman or man leaves, that's it. We're done. You know, and I can't afford to let them go to school. Or I can't afford to let them take this course. Or I can't afford this. So the first thing is, is you have to understand that when opportunity knocks like that for an individual, you're going to get paid back threefold. Mm-hmm. I believe yes, it. So if if you if you invest in this individual today, you know what's the return on investment? In in a, without even you know they they don't need that. That's my thought process. Is like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna scratch your back today, but tomorrow you're really gonna scratch my back, right? <laughs> it's kind of the old mafia. They were, hey, hey, I'll do a favor for you today. <laughs> yeah, kiss the ring. So anyway, uh, so yeah, so I think you have to you have to allow for that, and you have to allow that the individual has enough courage to come up and even ask for it. So it's setting the environment of of uh, you know of of enabling individuals the opportunity to say, you know what, I, I want to improve myself. I want to do better. And, and the way I see that happening is uh, that, you know, I want to go to this, this course, this school, you know, whatever the thing is, um, this forum or this conference or whatever. Now, again, reality bites, right? And so every, but for the most part, you can afford on a day-to-day basis to enable that latitude. I think it's also that, you know, um, you always have to be careful how you criticize, you know, how you give Mm. feedback, how Mm. you, how you, you know, uh, if, if everything that comes out of the, the, you know, the, the leader's mouth is negative and why did you try this and it's a waste of time, you know. It, it, look, it's common sense. It's humor. After a while, as a human being, you're just going to shut down and go, oh, he doesn't value what I'm worth. And so it's giving value to people. It's helping them understand that they're part of something larger, that their their input and their ideas and their and their efforts are are necessary and valued, you know. And so it's about the value of the individual. And I think that's setting the environment, you know. Yes, sir. Uh, and so, yeah, so I think it's, uh, you know, when you when you put it all together – you know, for me, it's really um, the homework that you do ahead of when when Vic comes up with a you know everything you've done before to set that environment will pay off when you walk up and give me that shit and say, hey, I want to go and do this. Yes, sir. And you know, and and so that to me that man, that's encouraging. You know, yes, sir. I, I was I was looked at it that way. I think also too. So there's a sense of. Uh, kind of like what you're talking about, the mafia. It's not like, there will come a day when I will come know. back to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, I think one of the things that we have a challenge yeah. in in the Marine Corps is seeing beyond ourselves. Yeah. So I think maybe there's that fear that, well, if I lose this person for three months, I'm not going to get a yeah. return on my investment. But the Marine Corps that's will, a, because that person will do something better yeah. in their next tour, the following yeah. tour. So, Vic, I'm sorry to cut. That's sorry, a no, great please. point. Because, you know, if you look at this, Depending on where you sit, you have to take an enterprise view. You know, down down at a company platoon level, you're like, well, you're going to really hurt the platoon, and yeah, I've only got one platoon sergeant, or mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I've got one, you know, whatever. Yeah, it, it hurts. Um, but when you when you step up and you step back and you go, you know what? And, and the commandant does this, right? He offers opportunities like this, right? He offers the opportunity to go out and improve yourself. Yes, sir. We want people to go to industry, for example, and take time out a yeah. year. 
We want people to, to go hey, get that advanced degree. That's right. We want people to stay home uh, when they're having uh, a baby, and we want the paternity. Why? It's an investment to understand that if if I if I give you this time now. And you take care of this and you spend time, that investment's going to pay off in the long run. You'll be yes, a sir. more productive Marine down the road instead of having to carry all this burden with you that, yeah, I didn't have time to really settle it because, you know, whatever. And so you've got to make that investment uh, today to really reap the benefits up for tomorrow. And, and you see it time and time again, just the policies and everything that, you know, yes, that, that we lay out for the Marine Corps. And I think rationally it makes sense and intuitively that makes sense. But in going into practice, like how do you see leaders being able to encourage Marines? Hey, look, you got a lot. Your time is valuable. Yeah. I want you to take some of that time and, and to hone your craft or find, go on sabbatical or go to school. How do you encourage Marines to, as we do this, I mean, it's a paradigm shift. How do we encourage Marines to embrace the shift rather than saying, it's a great thought experiment, but I've, don't have a lot of time on my plate right now. How do you think we can help? Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting because when I was CG of uh, second MLG, you know, I, I, you know, we had a, we, I'm going to take you on a long road trip here. Please, so I apologize, yes, but So, uh, you know, we had the, you know, uh, General Smoke Bidler was a MEF commander and, you know, we had, we had some, you know, just ingrained uh, readiness issues from a material standpoint, a ground material standpoint. And, you know, and it was, when I first got there, I was like, well, you know, we're not doing good. And again, we were all busy rotating in and out of Iraq and doing all this stuff. And so some of that you could understand. But at the end of the day, we were kind of coming on the back end of this, and we were we were starting to really embrace more of a steady state operation. And, and so we needed to get back to, to, to increasing our ground readiness. And, you know, I took note of, I was like, wow, you know, I've got, I've got, you know, I've got pretty poor readiness and all this stuff. And so I started really looking at how we managed our time at the company, battalion, and regimental levels. And, and you know, so I, you know, I, I, I just took the case of a mechanic and trying to figure out, you know, where, where does a mechanic spend all their time? When you, when you dissected that, you kind of, you go, okay, so we get into PT in the morning and, yeah, I'm just going to pull it out. You know, yep. we start PT at 530 or 6, and by the time we get done, it's probably 08 Zero eight thirty, you know. Then they have a formation. By the time they, you know, they're done with the formation because they got to count for everybody after PT, right? <laughs> they, and then they got to get their their coveralls on, get out their toolboxes, do all this stuff. And and now, you know, it's about ten thirty. Up, the chow truck's coming on, and so you know, you got to get the ten fifteen chow truck, the roach coach that comes by, and they pull out the, and that takes you about a half an hour, right? Because you got to digest. You don't want to get a stomachache. And then <laughs> and then and then it's put the boxes away because it's chow time, right? So now you're back at thirteen hundred and and maybe maybe in the afternoon you might have a you know uh, some kind of a uh, counseling session or a pme or something like that and and then look at, at about 15 30 people are starting to wrap things up when you when you when you look at that timeline and you go and, and then everybody goes we're so busy we, we, we we've got to work overtime right? and you you just go so the first kind of when you say you know it's kind of you've got to learn to manage your time yes, sir. You really do because when you stop to think about and you have to prioritize what's important, you know, and professional development is important. And so so we've got to teach our young leaders how do you how do you how do you get rid of the kind of the not so necessary activities of the day and and you build a you know, I used to love unit training management. You know, I mean it was mm. just 
that I mean, to me, that just makes sense. You know, you look at all of the tasks that are required. You kind of spread them out across the day, the week, the month, and uh, and and the quarter. And now you you have an expectation of where you're going. We can't somehow or another. We've lost that. Yes, sir. We've, we've lost the ability to do that. And so we find ourselves in this. Hey, we don't have enough time, and you know. And so let's give the Marines time back. Let's figure that out for them so that they can understand the value of doing work and training. We have to train. That's the most important thing we do. And then also have time to do that professional development where they're not necessarily having to do it all the time after work, but maybe we can fit it in throughout the day and we can do that. But until we get that timing and that available time to do, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think we're, we're, we're going to struggle with this, you know, so, yeah, long story, sorry. No, that's, that's great, sir. And unit tra- uh, that unit training management piece, uh, not only is it a perishable skill, as you oh. mentioned, sir, but it's not intuitive. Yeah. Um, I think back as a young man, and, and we had a, uh, a guest on who will be um, coming up in a future uh, episode, but he and I played football together in college, and we both commented on how much – easier it was to manage our time in college where you have an abundance of it during season because I do have to prioritize because I've got morning film sessions, I've got weightlifting, I've got actual practice itself, and then the games over the weekend, and then I'm going to, you know, so there's all these other things. Oh, yeah, and I've got a term paper, due. So when am I going to get that part done? Because if I let my grade slip, I won't be playing. Then time management's not going to be an issue anymore because I'm not going to be on the team. Um, So I think that that is really important, um, and I do feel like, sir, that that it is – it's a hard piece because, like, what you're saying is you're asking young leaders – who are just sort of figuring that out yeah. to then impart that on young people who don't really realize that right. that is an issue. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the challenge, you know, and, and it's uh, and I've, I've and again I've I've commanded units and I, I by no means am I saying that my you know oh we were so perfect back then that we yeah everybody had extra time. No, I mean we we screwed up just like everybody else did, right? And um, but you know, looking back at it from a, a position where I, you know I sat the last couple of years in, in senior positions, you know I realized that that was one of the biggest shortfalls that we have is the ability to to really buy back that time to really prioritize what's important, you know, uh, and then you know allow the Marines to do it. You, when you stop and you think about all the, you know, all the, oh we've got to work overtime, we got to do this, we got to do that. In an ideal world, everything's scheduled, everything's you know it's out there. You know, why do we have to cram at the last minute? Because we didn't allow enough time to, to prepare. We didn't have to do those things. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, you know. Yes, Again, I'm getting off on a, on a tangent here. Absolutely. I don't want to do that. But, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's – um, I think you have to give you have to give the young leaders and, and the Marines the opportunity to, 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 to develop. And, and, it has to, and it can be on company time if we do it right. Nice, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just shifting gears a little bit uh, on you, sir. Um, so we've, we've talked about uh, your time uh, in service, but now that you're out of the uniform, what was some of the things that led you to decide to take the helm of the uh, Marine Corps Association? Yeah, well, I think, thanks, Vic. I think the the number one thing was, you know, the connectedness of the Marine Corps. I, I You know, it's, you know, uh, it, it, it's just hard to, you know, now two and a half months out of uniform and, uh, you know, my greatest fear, you know, was, was and continues to be, wow, I'm going to 
you know, I'm going to walk away from this gun club that I've served my whole life with, you know what I mean? You know, and, uh, you know, and I keep, t I keep telling, uh, you know, my wife as I drive in every morning, I go, wow, it feels like I'm still, I'm still going Sorry. to work, you know, <laughs> I go to the gates, they want my cat card coming through, and, you know, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning thinking thoughts of what I have to do for the day and, and all this stuff, and, uh, and uh, you know, the issues are very much um, uh, not the same to the same scale and complexity, but, but you know, it's people, it's leadership, it's, it's, it's fiscal, it's, it's, you know, how do we, how do we bring the, the value, and, uh, and so I think, you know, my one, my one, my, excuse me, my number one, uh, you know, kind of criteria was um, and is uh, the ability to stay connected to the Marine Corps, to with an association that is, look, we've got so many great associations out there. If you think about, you know, the individuals who have personal needs, you know, like, like, you know, wounded warrior yes, or, you know, uh, all of those are fantastic and they serve. But the association is uniquely different, right? We give back to the Marine Corps. I mean, we 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 uh, we raise uh, donations so that we can give back to the Marine Corps about this, you know. And it's all about, you know, how do we how do we help professionalize the individual Marine? Ultimately, the betterment of the Marine Corps by doing that, uh, and we do that through, you know, through the resources that we're able to to gain, and then and the programs that we deliver through the foundation. That's what we exist for. So to me, that idea of staying connected and being uh, associated with that, I think that was my number one criteria, you know. And so, so yeah, I mean, that was. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I think we're we're seeing a, a reoccurring theme here, sir. Your your commitment to serving, and so now you gave back to the country. Now you're giving back to the, so, to, the well, organization to, that yeah. helped you give back to the yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, one day I'll stop serving. <laughs> <laughs> um, what uh, not to look too much behind the curtain yeah. uh, on this for, for you, sir. But uh, what was some of the? Was it something that you had aspired to? Was it some, or did it just sort of fall into your lap? The the, the association, the yes, sir. No, I mean I think it was. Uh, you know, I I like all the other uh, uh, applicants who came up with the job. You know, we, uh, you know, General Faulkner, you know, opened the door to. To several general officers and the opportunity, and so you know you had to apply and you had to get grilled by the board of governors and board of directors, and it was it was you know having not gone through an interview in many many years, it's kind of a humbling experience, you sure. know, because you're you know you hey there's an opportunity there's a possibility here that I won't get that job, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, you know you know in the Marine Corps you know you get a set of orders you go you know I mean it's not hey can I go the Okinawa no you're gonna go you know it's sure. like so uh, so. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the opportunity was uh, presented to me and uh, would you like to, to apply for this? And, and fortunately enough, I, I was selected amongst a very, you know, most of the, the folks that all of them, not most of them I know and, and, uh, and I think extremely highly of. And, you know, I just think it was a great, you know, probably because I'm the only one that wanted to live in northern Virginia. No one else did. That's why they, they selected me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So. Well, sir, we're happy. Yeah. We're really happy yeah. to have you. Um, was now having been that you were in um, various commands, yeah. I mean, literally across the globe. Yeah. What impact did the association have for you while you were in uniform? 
Yeah. So, you know, I think back in your time and, and, you know, as you're out in the fleet and all this stuff, you know, I remember as a young, young lieutenant, uh, first of all, you know, picking up Latherneck and, and yes, Gazette in the battalion CP. Yep. Yes, you sir. know, I mean, it was the coveted magazine that, you know, you got it. And you first thing you would go through on Latherneck, you'd go through it and you'd go. I wonder if my picture's in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you you just came off an operation or an exercise, and and you know you knew that there was uh, you know there was a story being written for it, and so you dug through that. So you know I mean I think that you know the first thing was is the is the connectedness of of the leatherneck and what it brings to us and from the Gazette. I'll tell you you know my time at amphibious warfare school or command and staff up at Newport or even my time at Penn State. You know. Um, you stop and think about what it brings to the to the Marine Corps, um, and it's it's that it's that complex, deliberate thought of ideas, you know, that, that come together and how to solve them, you know, and, yes, and uh, from a not from a from a an institutional perspective necessarily, but from an individual uh, or individuals perspective, a group of individuals that may be writing it. Um, and I found that extremely valuable. And I, you know, when I became DCINL, um, and you know, we were, you, you, we were asked to write for, you know, the, our month of, you know, articles and all that. I'll tell you, I mean, it was just, a, it was just so refreshing to see, you know, and I thought oh, I'm going to get an article on this, this or that. But the Marines and the civilians, I mean, they, it was like, this is my opportunity to get on there, and I'm going to, I'm going to present my thoughts and, yes, and their articles were just it was hard to choose the ones that we actually wanted to push forward because they were so thoughtful and so uh uh you know so relevant to what we were doing that uh it was it was refreshing to read those kinds of things something or another it would have been totally hey i want you to write on i want you to write on this you know or that uh but it was so you know the value of of the association um i thought you know from a leatherneck and gazette extremely high um you know, uh, I, I wasn't around D.C. much throughout my career, so I didn't I didn't benefit as much, perhaps, from the, the awards dinners until I was a general and things like that. So I didn't I didn't see that. But you know, we you know, and that's something that as president and CEO, I really want to get my arms around, and and that is what is the value of the association? Because mm. I mean, that's 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 what we have to ask ourselves. Yes, sir. Right? It's got it's not a oh my gosh, she's asking. Are we going to be around here next year? No, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> it's kind of like you come in and you do a mission, um, uh, you know, mission analysis. You, know, you come out with a restated mission. Uh, you come in and you do an assessment of, of what it is. And one of the couple areas that really resonated with me so far as I sit and think through all of this is, you know, number one, what is the value of the association? And if you look at that in terms of the second part, growth, you know, uh, then you so if, if value's high, then growth should be high, right? But we're in a, we're in a point of a, in our association's uh, history where you know associations at large um, and nonprofits are losing membership, and it's not because you know it's not because wow you 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 don't bring value. You have to really dig into that kind of do the analytics behind it. It's because in today's you know today's youth. Uh, today's populations 
there's not a lot of value in us being a member of an association. Well, you mm-hmm. can get everything mm-hmm. for free online, right? Well, you know, you want to, you want to, you want the products that we offer. Well, just go online, go to mca.org, and you're going to be able. You know, Nick's on there, and he's 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 building all of these podcasts and all the resources that commanders need and all that stuff. So, so okay. So beyond that, and beyond the Gazette and Leatherneck, what else do we do? You know, and so. And so we deliver programs to the Marine Corps, and we deliver good programs, but it goes back to time management. Commanders can't use up all the stuff that we give them, so we've got we've to help them help themselves. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, again, value, value, you know, and, and growth. And so those are two areas that I'm, I'm focused on and two areas that, you know, I think require a lot of uh, scrutiny on our staff and, and, and the board members and governments. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I hate to use a, a, I'm, I'm like full of trite, cliched sayings. Yeah. Like um, creating that safe space. Yeah. I think that uh, the association provides them an avenue that's more or less, it's outside of the Marine yeah. Corps. We don't have to necessarily um, walk the party line on every little thing. And so I think in a way we uh, facilitate that diversity yeah. of thought and to really let people um, sort of, cut their teeth on engaging in a in a really in a in a in a sincere way yeah not just no, something you're, that's going to facilitate on, yeah, you're promotion spot on, and, but i'll tell you this so so i think the way to do that and you know so to be relevant in today you know this you know all three of you know this better than i do because i don't i don't i don't react as quickly on social media as everybody else does but um you have to have the flexibility and dexterity, I guess, to be able to do that, right? And so an issue comes up today, and it's a five-minute issue, right? It doesn't linger forever, right? I mean, there's very few topics, if you think about it, maybe, you know, election fraud. I don't know. But things, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I think it lasts forever, right? But, but there's things out there that, that, that are relevant to the Marine Corps that, that you want to talk about today, right now. Is the, are the, are, and this goes back to value, Vic, the, are, the, are the magazines the right place to do that? Well, no, because we're very deliberate in our approach and we're very, it's not that we're being, you know, we're, we're, we're editing all that stuff out. It's just that they don't have the, the quick turn that we need. And so we have to offer our members and our Marines, because well, membership's a bad thing, but um, a, a, a safe space where you can come in, you know, the blogs, the this, the that, you know, where people can come in without fear of retribution. Mm-hmm. They can come in and have a professional discussion. I'm not talking about, you know, going down to the lowest denominator here. I'm talking about having a professional sure. discussion and, and being able to, hey, I don't, I don't agree with, with this. And, you know, I highlight the, the, the you know, unfortunately, you know, what happened with Afghanistan and everything else mm-hmm. like that. And, so- you know, we should have, and I should have realized the space there, and we should have quickly jumped on that one. Now, we did some work on the side, and we did, you know, there, there was some things, but the ability to open that up and say, hey, you know, this is a place where you can really come in and, and you can have this professional conversation about without people coming in and, you know, coming on top of you or, you know, all this other stuff. Not, not that we're going to take a side. That's not our job, and that's not it, but it's – we have to be able to realize where that conversation is happening today uh, and we have to be able to take care of it, you know, and it's, it's not, you know, for us, we, you know, look, maybe it is war on the rocks or maybe it is this or whatever it is. I, I don't know, but we've got to be able to gather that up and be, be as flexible and, and dexterous as, you know, I guess that's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, sir, I again, I so appreciate yeah. you taking yeah. the time. This is great. I just got one final question for you, and then if uh, either uh, Nick or Will yeah. have anything, yeah, they, they've been they've been they so like they're just sitting back like I think they're taking a nap or something. If I didn't have it scripted, I would yeah. be in complete receive mode right now. Yeah. So I don't yeah. blame yeah. them at all. Yeah. No, this has been fantastic. This is fantastic. But sorry, I gotta just ask yeah. you: like, what was your best day in the Marine Corps? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're gonna ask that question. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, and I don't mean to sound like you know, apple pie and all that stuff, you know. But um, there's so many great days. Uh, I want to, I want to kind of probably, because um, I know you know if I say, well, it was when you got married or something like that, I was in the Marine Corps. No, no, that's not it. You know, but from a, from a Marine's perspective, I guess. Um, I, I vividly remember the times that um, we completed, and this is kind of a, a general theme rather than a day, but we completed operations uh, and we, you know, we came out, you know, as a commander uh, at, at multiple levels and, and having the opportunity to bring Marines into combat or even even humanitarian crisis mm-hmm. situations or whatever it was, you know, to to be able to, 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 to say with confidence uh, that the Marines did a fantastic job that we were able to walk away mm-hmm. from this. Um, and that, you know, that doesn't mean we didn't have any scars, but to be able to walk away from this as a unit or as a, as a whatever it was, um, I think those are probably the things that will stay with me forever. And I vividly remember coming out of, uh, coming out of Iraq the second time and, uh, standing on the, on the wings of the Carter hall. And as we were, we, we, we'd come out of Ambar province where it hit and uh, mm. we, were, we were retrograding down south and it was just a monstrous retrograde because, you know, the Mew who had been land-based uh, had, to come, uh, had to come up and, um, and so we'd come off ships. They put us up there and we, were retro- we had to drive up and drive back. And so, I mean, that was, you know, I mean, you know the distance that was involved yes, in there. But, and so just, you know, so and then we, we operated in there, great, great operation and, and uh, came back and on the way back and, you know, we, we had everything back down at Quake Naval Base, and I just remember thinking, you know, as I, as I, as the Denver was shoving off, and everything was tucked in the ship, and we were getting ready to come back to Lejeune, and and just thinking, you know, wow, what a fantastic day, you know, just looking back, and you know, and uh, we were like every other unit had been in there, you know, we were scraped up, beat up, but it was everybody was, you know, was back on board, exception of a few, but um, yeah. Those kind of days, you know, and mm-hmm. I can think about Haiti. I can think about you know other places that we've been in Africa, or whatever. And uh, and just those kind of days will stick for me for for my life. You know, just uh, that that was a great day in the Marine Corps. You know, it all comes yes, to sir. this. You know, yes, and uh, and you know being the last guy. I pride of myself always being the last guy out. You know, no yep. matter what. Yep, you know, yep. even to the almost to the at a personal death risk but being the last guy off you know because there's bandits coming across the wire but uh, so yeah I, I think that when I look at it the best day of the Marine Corps was being able to walk away from some very challenging situations uh, knowing that the Marines had performed um, and had done a phenomenal job and that we could account for every single one of them you know? that's awesome so, yeah. awesome sir well, sir, again, yeah. thank you so much. This was uh, such a pleasure. Thank yeah. you for taking the time to sit with us for a little yeah. while. And um, Bill, no, anybody? Yeah, Bill? No, I, I'm really happy you're here. This was really, really fun to be, just be sitting in the room. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, like as I think, of, I was thinking of questions. They were getting answered. So I hope that <laughs> I hope that's what's happening for the listeners as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, I got this great clip. I'm going to bring it in at the end. Like we're talking about force design 2030. What about MCA design 2025? Uh, boom, know, boom, done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, that's good. It happened like three or four times yeah. as we were going through there. I'm like, oh, I'm going to jump in. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> you know, I, I want to just throw it back on you guys because I mean I you know these podcasts and and uh, you know I spent some time uh, hunting and pecking on the on the web you know and if you go out there you'll, you'll first of all you see all the resources that are available mm-hmm. you know I keep people well what do you guys do you know and I keep talking about well we give you know commanders the opportunity to to really uh, you know uh, professionalize their course through education through battlefield studies and if you look at our battlefield studies and you look at all the all the resources that have been avail that are available to to Marines to commanders or whatever the case is um, to be able just to go to one place and hit you know one spot and be able to download or read or all the books all the documents all the maps all the I mean and that's a lot of time you know and if you think about it you know it's 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 just a uh, it's an invaluable resource. You know, you look at the leadership series of podcasts that we have out there, and I'd never listened to them before, and I spent the last month listening to them. You know, I said, well, I better listen to everything here. So (laughs) I did. And I'll tell you, I was like, wow, fascinated. You know, I think where we need to go there, I'll tell you this, is that um, it's always great having, uh, you know, generals and leaders who've made a significant contribution to the Marine Corps. We want to hear their voice, you know. But, you know, think about... You think about the young Lance Corporal who's who may be facing the next conflict, who may be facing the next deployment, the next you know challenge, whatever, or even just a day in the life in garrison. To be able to pull from our veterans, just the you know, hey, I served in Vietnam from uh, '66 to '67, and I was uh, a, a rifleman, and you know, first battalion, first marine, or whatever, whatever the case is, and uh, and you know, tell me how you're, how did you feel about going into into you know when you were you're getting off the plane and you're walking in and you're going into combat i mean just those personal experiences at a at a at a level uh that we can you know the majority of our marine corps is and that's a young enlisted level uh and be able to share those experiences and those kind of those uh you know those emotions i guess if you will of, of being able to step off that line of departure and and you know and hopefully our marines today will be able to really re- relate to that they're not in number one. They're not in it by themselves. They may be able to pick up some tricks of the trade, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and just you know kind of uh, assimilate to 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 those individuals. So maybe that's somewhere you know as you start building more, yeah. put more work on your neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I just finished my last big project, so we can get started on the Got next something one. Else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nope. It's good to hear, especially like you know, uh, including the diversity of thought and trying yeah. to get more voices out there, especially from the younger generations. Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to especially see like a lot of younger people like write and speak with us. I mean, I love reading first and second lieutenant articles because I know I can remember where I was, especially you know, graduating college and like being that young and that mindset yeah. that they have, and it's 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 great to see. Yeah, I, I, yeah, we 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 need more of that. We need less of me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. not on this show, sir. We're no, definitely gonna have no. you back on. All right, yeah. all right. All right. Thank you again, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Thank you. and thanks to all our listeners out there too. All right, yeah. I guess we'll just take a moment now to wrap up. Then um, this has been the Marine Corps Association podcast scuttlebutt. I'm Nick. I'm here with Vic, William, and CEO of the Marine Corps Association, General uh, Lieutenant General Shiroti. Uh 
It might sound crazy to say this with the boss in the room, but opinions expressed on the show are just opinions <laughs> and do not express the official views of the Marine Corps Association. Uh, we get significant contributions as well from Nancy Lichman, uh, editor at Leatherneck. So thanks for your time, and we'll catch you guys later. Bye. Bye. See you. Thank you.